Hey, this is Jonathan. And this is Alan. And welcome to the Nerd Meme Podcast. Mr. Jonathan, yo Joe. Yo Jonathan. Yo Alan. <laughs> okay, so today, Alan, we're going to be discussing uh, our part two of our G.I. Joe retrospective. Uh, first one, we talked about the G.I. Joe toys. Uh, this one, we're going to be talking about the G.I. Joe Marvel comic book from the 80s. Fabulous. Absolutely. And <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is this is why are we doing a retrospective on G.I. Joe? G.I. Joe, you couldn't turn around in the 80s and not hit something G.I. Joe related, whether it was the cartoon, the comic book or the toys, right? Right. Yeah, it's 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 pretty easy to um, say that G.I. Joe dominated, uh, at least for 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 kids of a certain age, uh, pop culture uh, in the 80s. Yeah, it, it was hitting on comic books, toys, cartoons. Uh, it was it was everything, and and very successful as well. Super successful. Right. So, like we like we stated in uh, the uh, the toys uh, podcast episode, um, you know, Hasbro had this property. Uh, they figured out a way to market it in a way uh, with the success of Star Wars. They figured out a new way to market it uh, at the three point seven inch scale. Um, but they needed something to kind of help promote it. So as the story goes is uh, Hasbro executive runs into a Marvel comics executive at a charity event and starts to, you know, just kind of tells them the idea, Hey, we got this new G.I. Joe toy and uh, we're not sure how we're going to market it. So the Marvel executive agrees to, um, I guess to kind of brainstorm and see if they could help them out in any way. Uh, and what they do is they go back to uh, he goes back to Marvel and uh, he taps uh, an editor named Larry Hama. Um, yeah, Larry Hama, who's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you think G.I. Joe now, you think Larry Hama. Right. Ho- hopefully. Um, Larry Hama was an, a comic editor at the time, but he also wrote and he uh, he was a Vietnam vet and he actually acted a little bit. I think he did an episode of Star Trek, they said. Really? I read. Yeah. One or two episodes. Might have been a yeah, red shirt. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and coincidentally, Relia Harum was working on a pitch for Marvel for a, uh, a Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. comic that he was calling Fury Force, which I can't say too fast because it might come out as a cuss word. <laughs> Fury Force. And um, <laughs> it was really about um, Sergeant F- uh, Nick Fury leading a team of elite uh, soldiers. Right. Um, against Hydra, because as we all know, Shield fights Hydra. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, what Larry Hammond did was he kind of tweaked it a bit and turned into GI Joe, where it's about uh, General Hawk, who leads an, a group of elite soldiers against Cobra. Wonderful. You see the bones. Okay. You see the skeleton. And today we're going to be talking about the comic book. Yes, sir. Yeah. So in 1982. Uh, Marvel published G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number one, written by Larry Hama, who we must say, actually, well, let's let's start, uh, let's give a quick overview. So, the G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero comic series from Marvel lasted for 155 issues. It went from 82 to 94. Okay. Larry, ha- Larry Hama is credited with writing uh, the vast majority of it. I mean, I think if he, if he wrote, if he didn't write 10 of them, that's mm-hmm. probably a lot. Out right. of the whole series, yeah. Well, that's uh, so, the, 
Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of writing for and one. And he guy. probably uh, did the whole. Did he do the whole run? He probably did the whole run. Well, that's what I'm saying. If he didn't, if there was maybe ten issues he didn't do, I would think that's a lot. But he did a majority of of the books. Right. Um, but remember, at the same time, what was he writing? We talked about in the toy episode. He's also writing the. You forget. What? Did you forget what he wrote for the toys? What did he write? For? Oh, the, the the file cards. Yeah, he wrote all the file cards. I, I, so the guy, he was prolific, at least in terms of GI Joe. <laughs> so do you remember the first time you saw? Like, were you looking specifically for the GI Joe comic book at the time, or did you run into it? What you know? What was your influence about getting onto this comic book? Well, in thinking about these podcasts, I, I was thinking about what really drew me to GI Joe, and I think. I remember um, getting an issue in my stocking at Christmas. I got three comic books in my stocking one Christmas, and I didn't I didn't collect comics at the time. Um, one was the A Team number one. Uh, the other one was. Um, Did you say A Team? The A Team, yeah, they had a miniseries. Oh, nice. Had a four issue miniseries. I got the A Team number one. Um, some other oh GI Joe number twenty. Oh, is that right? Yeah, Clutch comes home. That's what Clutch is falling over an airplane. And uh, I forgot the third one is. It'll come to me when I'm not thinking about it. But I remember I got three of them, and I loved the GI Joe one. And actually, maybe it must have been a year early because if that was GI Joe twenty, um, I remember seeing GI Joe like eight or I can't remember the. It was one of the early ones with uh, it was uh, Cobra Commander's face on the front. Mm-hmm. You know the helmeted face. And the helmet was like, there was like a split. It was like on one side was members of the G.I. Joe team. And the other side were a member of the October Guard, which was the, the Russian version of the G.I. Joe team. Right. Uh, I did pick up that That's one. Uh, I mean, issue number six. Oh, very cool. I was close. I was thinking yeah. seven. So I picked that. I, I had picked that one up at a drugstore. I remember I had to borrow money from a friend to get that. Um, <laughs> you didn't get someone's grandma to buy it for you? No, no grandma's around. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I wound up getting 20... Uh, yeah, it had to be at least a year later. If you're talking 12 issues, that's 12. Yeah, a little over a year later, I got Clutch comes home. Um, but yeah, so, so and then, you know, the, I think the cartoon was on at this point. Um, but what I remember most about the comics is that their, their commercials, well, first of all, they were the first comic book to have commercials. You had never seen, and I don't know if we've seen it since, you've never seen a comic book advertised with a commercial. Like, you're not going to see a commercial for like, the, 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 you know, uh, action comics or anything like that. Um, right. You know, if there were big, uh, like, things happening in Marvel DC, they would actually, like, nowadays, you would see it in the news, but you would never see it as, a com- like, a reoccurring commercial on a TV show. Yeah, yeah. like a 30-second commercial, yeah. yeah. Or like a real-on commercial for a comic right. book, which was unheard of at the time. Right. A- at all. And Even today, it doesn't happen. Exactly. And the genius of Hasbro and Marvel's marketing department is that there was a law in place at the time that any toy commercial could only have at most 10 minutes of animation. Uh, 10 minutes. <laughs> That's a long, That's time. A long time. That's a long commercial. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can have an hour of commercial with only 10 minutes of a Kimmy cartoon. No. Uh, they can only have 10 seconds of animation in any toy commercial. Uh, so what Hasbro and Marvel decided to do was uh, they would have an animated, cart- uh, an animated commercial for their comic books. Mm-hmm. So they were able to do 30 seconds of uh, animation uh, to promote the comic book. 
um, which in turn got the kids excited about the toys because, and I remember because I was one of those kids. Because I mean, until they they throw the comic book cover up in the uh, at the end of the commercial, you're thinking, oh well, this is for a toy. You know, this commercial is for a toy, uh, and they were action packed and they were awesome. I mean, go to YouTube, go find them. Um, and they were they were pretty much animated versions of the issue they were talking about too, which was pretty cool. That's pretty neat, uh, yeah. And it made you want to run out and and get them. You know, they did one where you know when the comic book introduced GI Joe, they did a whole commercial about. Um, I'm sorry. When the comic book introduced Destro, they did a whole commercial about you know Destro, you know helping Cobra and things like that. Um, yeah, they did. They did. They did a bunch of them too. They must have done like at least ten to fifteen of them. Well, you, um, you talked about uh, you had to go to the drugstore to get a comic book, right? Mm-hmm. So, did you try and hit that drugstore like once a month to get the books? No, like I wasn't. I didn't collect comics until I moved. Okay. Uh, to a suburban New Jersey. At the time, I was living in Jersey City. Uh-huh. Uh, and I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't into comic books at all. Um, I, I, you know, I would pick one up here and there because of the interest, but it wasn't something I even thought about buying every month, you know. Um, you know, my good friend Albert, I, I reference him a lot. He had the G.I. Joe comic books, but, you know, at the time, I, I don't... I should ask him where do you even get these comic books from because I don't remember any comic book stores in our in our area and probably weren't a lot at all at that time period too you know maybe a few but you know I didn't experience comic book stores retailers till I got to college you know that's when I met you and then my life was over but that's when I started me uh, find these comic book stores and stuff but it, it's amazing that they put so much money and interest in pushing these comic books where it it was kind of a rare thing to find, wouldn't you say? Well, I, I, you know, I think comic book stores, like I didn't run into a comic book store either until I moved to the suburbs. And uh, yeah, I mean, drugstores always had comic books. Remember, you weren't collecting these things. You were fold, you know, you buy them, you fold them, put them in your back pocket, ride them, ride your bike home, root them, and then toss them somewhere. Right. Um, so, I mean, I mean, for me, because I lived in a city, you know, every you know, convenience store, candy store, drugstore, you know, had a comic book rack. And they weren't selling like a thousand titles. They had whatever, however many the rack would hold. Um, you know, so some, you know, sometimes you'll, you, you know, some stores would have G.I. Joe, sometimes other stores would have just Spider-Man. Like you never, you weren't getting the same comic books in every store either. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a cool cover uh, that, you know, which is number six, which is why I bought it. And I read it and I enjoyed it and forgot about G.I. Joe until number 20 came out. And actually, I, I had moved to the suburbs by that point. Um, but the the thing about G.I. Joe that made it so popular, uh, you know, at one point it was even outselling the X-Men. Um, you know, and this is the 80s. And the X-Men pretty much owned, uh, well, actually, yeah, they owned the, the mid to mid, mid 80s going forward. Um but G.I. Joe was the realism, like Larry Hammer we spoke about was the vet. And he his comic books were chock full of military facts, you know, like when they lots talk of about detail. their there, there, lots there's of a details. lot of real, realism in it, you know, because I didn't pick up these books until I got the uh, the trade paperback. You know, I think each book was like 10 issues. And I remember I started reading it. And it's the, what, what sets G.I. Joe apart from, I guess, the other superhero comic books especially from marvel comics there's a sense of realism realism believe it or not <laughs> in this comic book uh, the 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 dialogue the lingo how they interact they weren't over the top people they were just down to earth people 
And uh, that's what really struck with me and with Larry Hammond's background being in the military. You, you had a sense of, wow, th- is this what it's really like? You know, uh, what, what military life is like? And uh, they, they get into detail a lot in, in, in the G.I. Joe comic books. Right. And I think I think as the toy line, um, because I think the toy line dictated the, the, the comic book, you know, Larry Hammer had to use and name um, every character and vehicle that the toys produced at least once. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and you see that because there's a lot of shows in each issue and there's a lot of different vehicles and they name them. Um, you know, some of them get like really big introductions. Uh, and as the toys started to get kind of more far-fetched and out there so does the comic so book, the comic and book it, yeah. yeah and it's a shame because I, I think larry hammer and look i don't know he's never said anything like this but this is just my own thought i think larry hammer kind of struggled with it as it got more fantastical as sure. it got more sure. um sci-fi-ish or or just more f- fantasy and f- um i think he struggled with trying to write um good stories for all these people. Plus he was just inundated with so many characters. Right. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, if you look in the hundreds and stuff, you know, the issues, you know, you and I have both been skimming through a bunch of uh, issues to prepare for this show. Uh, yes, guys, we do pre, we do prep. Um, (laughs) we do it so much. I can't, I I don't even know what the word is. Um, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, if you look at some of your future, uh, issues, like, um, some of the ones we read, like I want to talk about later, issue one, 109, one, 109 through 113, in which a whole lot of G.I. Joes bite the dust. Um, and I think in a, part in of that, a gruesome fashion, too. Yeah. And it's I, something I, you I don't think, expect, like you're like, what the hell? Well, and I think those are the first time Joes died in the comics, which, you know, it's pretty cool if they made Main it to 100. Too. 109. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big names. Like, like action figures you had you're like what um <laughs> time to, but time I think to he, strap I think, a firecracker to him <laughs> yeah well the funny thing not, not funny but in 113 he just he killed the whole team <laughs> yeah. like a whole sub team because we talked about how gi just started having sub teams like ninja force and and battle force 2000 and things like that so uh yeah i think he kind of had to do that he's like look i don't there's too many i gotta get rid of some of these guys <laughs> um but we'll talk about that later. But yeah, so I think he, like we said, as the toys got more ridiculous, the, I think it got harder and harder for him to write. Um, he because some of these are really bad. To be honest yeah, with I, I wonder were the comic books made to push push the the toy line? You know? Oh, absolutely. I would say yeah, that because you know, I'm looking at issue number sixteen, very first page, the opening page here. You got the GI Joe tank the motorcycle and the vamp all on one big splash page. I'm like, wow, what a, right. it's, it's a commercial in your hands. Absolutely. Well, you know? I, look, I think the comic book and the cartoon were made to serve the toy line. Right. Yeah. I think there's, there's no way other way around it. And they did a great job of it. It's probably the best or one of the best selling toy lines for boys in the eighties. Uh, you know, I sure. think masters of the universe might rival it, which I was astounded, astounded when I read that because I, I mean, I bought He-Man, but I didn't think it was as popular as, as apparently they were selling. Yeah, because you can buy, you know, a multitude of diff- different kind of Joes that were all cool and unique, you know, and right. and you can say, hey, you know, I like, you know, Snow Job, he was cool and all that stuff, and then you have He-Man. This He-Man and and it and everyone else were like all second tier guys to him. Right. You know? And but right. G.I. Joe, each individual figure was an important person to you. 
you know. And the fun thing, you know, we talked about it on the toy on the toy podcast about how who our favorites were, and yeah, we had like Snake Eyes and some of these originals, but we all had that. Like you had, um, I forgot who you had. <laughs> oh, I like was, Breaker, Flash. Yeah, you had Breaker, Firefly. Flash, right, and I had like. Um, you know, I like the barbecue. I like the ripcord. And these are oh, these aren't guys that got a lot of screen time on the cartoons or a lot of issues dedicated to them in the comics. But for whatever reasons, we latched on to them, and I think that was the appeal because there was something for everybody. Right. Um, but you know, getting back to the to the comic book is uh, the first, at least the first for me, the first fifty um, were really great uh, issues. Uh, it talks about the struggle. Um, it talks about, you know, Jejo versus Cobra and then the introduction of Destro. And then there was some infighting between Cobra Commander and Destro to the point where he, he brings a major blood to actually kill Destro. Um, you know, and then there's a love, love thing with Baroness uh, and Destro. And it was really good. You know, in, in issue 16, Hawk gets shot. And that's the thing. They made, like, Hawk was a add-on figure for the mobile missile. We should put a spoiler alert on this one, huh? Guess what, uh, people? We're naming names are people going down. Yeah, uh, from a 30-year-old comic book. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, like, Hawk was, he came with the mobile missile system and the toys, so you didn't think he was, and he was playing in green and blonde. He was was probably the most boring figure from the first series. Uh, And he wanted to be the general of the team. Yeah. (laughs) And he he winds up getting shot in... um, uh, in issue 16, there's a, there's a moment where he actually jumps out of his tank and he's having a fist fight with Destro in the back and Cobra Commander's got his gun out and he wants to kill Destro so badly, but he's like, who do I kill, Hawk or Destro? Right. And he wanted to put in a couple of bullets in Hawk. Um, you know, and, and it's it was really great. And then when you get into the 20s, uh, I think it's time we talk about issue 21, Alan. Okay, so let's do that. Let's focus on... A, a couple key issues that you know that you want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to talk about Twenty One yet. We got no. No, that one's like awesome. All right, let's let's do. You go one, I'll go one, and then we'll go to Twenty One. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, I and don't pick mine because you know what I'm going to pick. I, I really don't. <laughs> no, don't. Okay, maybe not. All right. Well, can, can, can I talk about? Oh, I know what you're gonna pick. I won't yeah, pick don't pick one. 34. I'm, I'm gonna pick a. I'll pick issue 26. 26. Um, it, yeah, it's not one we reread, but it's one I know. Um, it's 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 a story about. It's almost an origin story of Snake Eyes. Okay. Snake Eyes being the most mysterious character, you never see his face. He doesn't talk, and you find out that. Ham, Stalker, and Storm Shadow were in uh, Vietnam together. And another guy named Wade Collins uh, were in Vietnam together. And um, Stalker and, I'm sorry, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow obviously were part of the same ninja clan. Uh, it's just a really great origin story. Um, the way it's drawn is they really obscure uh, Snake Eyes' face in every panel he's in. Yeah. Um, he he kind of doesn't talk but not because he can't so he basically gets injured in vietnam that's why he can't talk um and stuff happens and way collins eventually becomes a cobra and storm shadow obviously uh, becomes the cobra ninja and it talks about their relationship and it really what that did was it 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 created the stalker i keep saying stalker it created the storm shadow and snake eyes dynamic um that you would see throughout the whole series where 
it was one of those things where a storm shadow became so popular as a figure they had to turn him to a good guy you know like they could or an anti-hero at the most you know like the like i guess deadpool eventually became and like the venom became you know he became such a popular villain that they made him a good guy um so yeah 26 was a really good issue oh that's that's cool anything snake eyes is always going to be good He's such a he, oh, yeah. he's he's like the Wolverine of GI Joe, so mysterious, yep. and uh, and I love the fact I love the fact that they they don't show what he looks like, you know, right? And then and, and like the unlike the cartoon, he's got a, uh, or I don't know if it happened in the cartoon, but him and Scarlet have a thing. Uh, not in the cartoon. I don't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was the biggest difference I think between the two. Oh, yeah, because the Scarlet and Duke, I think. Right? Yeah, it was Scarlet cartoon? and Duke in the comic books, uh, in the cartoon. Sorry. Uh... I like issue number thirty-four, Shakedown. Ooh. Oh, this this freaking book is so good. So, the premise is is uh, uh, Ace, the fighter pilot, is going up with Lady J. What was Lady J's deal? She was a uh, the. I don't know. She was a covert, was she? Was she? Uh... She was one that threw the harpoons, right? Yeah, that she exploded. Was, she was pointless. But um... that's why she sits in the back seat. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Ace Ace was the pilot of the F fourteen Sky Striker. It was a Sky Striker, right? Yeah. So the premise is is that Ace and Lady J they're going up to you know in the in the Sky Striker just to kind of test things out, and uh, and at the same time Cobra has this guy, um, what's his name again? Well, Wild Weasel. Wild Weasel and the Baroness. And they're doing the same thing. They're just doing like a little test flight and, and checking things out on their plane. And they're both flying at the same time. And as they're flying around, the Rattler's flying low and the Sky Striker's flying high. All of a sudden, they kind of notice each other. And it's they start to get into a little bit of a dogfight. And they're up and flying. And what's really cool about this is that they go into like a lot of, you know, I don't know anything about air fighting and whatnot but they do talk about like trying to hide in their in their blind side and and a lot of aerial techniques was just really fascinating about how the rattler would try and stay low to the ground so the sky striker couldn't pick him up on his radar and these guys are unloading missiles bullets left and right dodging flipping every every you name it that a plane could do that tom cruise would do in, in top gun they were probably doing it and and it's a really action-packed issue and what really really like sold this issue to me is you know at the very end of the book you know again they're unloading and ac grabs his i guess the throttle where he's going to engage his, his machine gun and here click nothing he's out of bullets right rattlers coming right at him same thing click out of bullets and they're heading right into each other and in the last panel they're just fly by and salute each other and I thought that was brilliant. I thought it was so awesome and how these two fighter pilots, as good as they are, and, and you know, they wanted to kill each other, but had the same utmost respect for how they handled each other in the air. So, shake. Yeah, and, and well, it's funny because uh, uh, Lady J was, was with uh, Ace in mm-hmm. the Sky Striker, and the Baroness was with Wild Weasel in the um, Rattler. And um, yeah, after they salute each other, uh, you know, there's different panels of the lady saying, "Why are you letting them go? What do you?" Kind of like they don't understand uh, what what they understood as pilots. You know, right? They're like, they're like "What do you mean we're just going back to base?" And yeah. you know, you're just gonna let them go? And they're like, "Yeah, you know, we we threw everything we had at them, and he's alive, so he gets to go." Home. I, I'm gonna read you, know? you the last panel. Lady Chase like, 
What are you doing? We're heading back to base. You're going to just let them fly away so we can go back to McGuire and eat breakfast? Well, well. <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, just quiet. And it says, yeah. the end. Uh, so I, and Baroness was doing the same thing. I told you to answer me. And he's not even talking to her. Uh, stay in the back and both, and both pilots are like, Lady J, you ignorant slut. <laughs> All right, maybe not. So, maybe not. But. All right. So here, here's a line from one of the issues when you talk about how they, how they talk the jargon. The flying debris from the exploded scrap metal creates an effective radar screen that will also trigger the proximity pulses. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm ten. What does right. that mean? <laughs> 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 right. Oh no, but this this is an action packed in my head, you know, as I'm reading this book, you know, when again, I'm re- I'm going to reference Top Gun cuz that's a really popular, you know, plane movie, you know, fighter plane. I mean, th- the adrenaline, th- how the panels are run, th- the intensity, it's all in there. And you know, if you guys ever read a comic book, this is a cool one to read because it's it's not a superhero genre thing. You know, it's a, it's a military kind of book, and it's it's really enjoyable. And there's nothing really over the top about it. But it well, there's a lot over the top about it. But for, for comic book purposes, I guess it's as real as you're gonna get. But it, it right. is really really good, really good. Well, I like this episode. Uh, episode. I like this issue for one reason. What? Uh, in, the, in the beginning of the dogfight, Ace loses his helmet and he's flying without his helmet. Like when I lost the helmet to my toy and he had to spend his whole career flying with that helmet. Aww, I was like, I can, re- I can reenact this episode issue. I can reenact this issue. Because <laughs> I had Sky Striker and the Rattler. Right, and you justified the loss of your helmet. Yep. All right. Ah, yeah, I'll that was a good issue. Out of breath. Okay. 21, I'm baby. I'm excited by that one. <laughs> 34. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so these are the issues you need to get. You need to get, get Jonathan's issue, number 34, and definitely G.I. Joe 21. Well, before we do 21, oh, let's, let's jump ahead to the 109 and, and 113. So these weren't on any any list that we originally started, but I'm like, dude, you have to read these two issues because – it's like G.I. Joe's actually die. And when this these issues came out, I was like, what? Because <laughs> and, and look, none of my favorite. Well, one of my favorite Joe's one or two of them might have get killed. But it was just more of like. Like they're dead. Like, are they really dead? Because you don't even see it in a lot of comic books in general. Well, what uh, was brutal to me was, was how they died. So basically, the Cobra captured a bunch of Joe's and they're in this pit. Right. Yeah. They're, they're keeping them in like a. And, and who kills them? Well, the funny thing is that it's Tomax and Zamot, the twins. Uh, they got them in the pit, and they radio Cobra Commander. Um, at the same time this is going on, Snake Eyes is in Cobra headquarters trying to track down and kill Cobra Commander. And Cobra Commander is freaking out. So uh, he says, what's he say, take care of them? Or what's he say? He said something that gets misinterpreted. Right. Um, something like, get rid of them. I think he's like, get rid of them. He's like, but his, so, so, uh, Tomax is here. I capture some Joes, throw them in this pit and they're like prisoners. So they radio Cobra Commander, like, look, we got these Joes. What do you want us to do with them? Cobra Commander is freaking out about Snake Eyes. He's like, well, Snake Eyes finds out I've captured Joes. I, you know, he's going to be even worse. He's like, just, so he says, get rid of them, meaning, you know, set them free. Right. So Tomax is here on the radio and they hear him. They go, what? <laughs> and they ask each other, did he just say what he think he said? He's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's to the point where like they're not even, you know, they've been enemies for 108 issues, but it's like 
oh, this is getting real. <laughs> right? Did we have to actually kill people? <laughs> yeah, because they even they even go they're like look they go to saw vipers which were um, special cobra soldiers that that carried heavy machine guns, uh, and they go look look you guys you know someone's got to take care of these joes who wants to do it we'll pay you extra, and and like most of them are like no we want nothing to do with this you know right. but this one guy steps up and goes I'll do it he goes I want two months extra pay, and like fine you got it, and he uh, what's he doing. He, so he's standing over them, over the pit with this M60 machine gun, you know, something that Rambo would carry, right? And like fish in a bucket, he just unloads on all the Joes and yep. th- they're helpless and they're getting, they're just getting mowed down and it's, it's horrific for a comic. It's, it's, it's yeah. a horrific scene, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I, I remember so many emotions because like I'm a, I'm a patriotic American and I love the G.I. Joe and to see these guys get cut down and it's such a crappy way. It's not like they died in the middle of a firefight either. Right. Yeah. You know, they were captured. They were they're in the pit just waiting to figure out what's going to happen. And um, let me, I'm opening. I'm going to look at it now to see which uh, I could give you the body count, the names. Um, and and to make it even worse, some of them die protecting the other Joes because not, not everyone in the pit gets killed. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh wait! Do you remember the first one to get killed? So the, it was Doc. So uh, the Cobras start pulling out because uh, Tomac and Zama are pulling out, and they're like, "All right, you got you you saw Viper, you take care of this." So the Joes are in the pit, and they hear 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 them pulling out. So they're like, "Hey, Doc!" You know, they give him a boost out of the pit to see what's going on. And boom! And so they boost Doc out, and his head pops up over the, the edge, and he goes, "Um." And he goes, lift me up slowly, and I'll peek over the edge. And he goes, you think they just up and left us? And they're like, could we be that lucky? And then Doc's head pops up, and he sees the saw viper with the machine gun at his head. He goes, I think our luck just ran out. And and the saw viper goes, you just said a mouthful. <laughs> so Doc, he pop, pop caps in the dock. He popped caps in the dock. Doc is dead, they scream. He just, the doctor, who's a pacifist, remember? Right. And um, so he just, he just shoots... He just goes crazy with the machine gun. Uh, he he ran out. Uh, he stopped shooting. Wait, what happened? Uh, so he shoot cross country. No, cross country survives. Let me say, go get him, Falcon. All right, so we know Doc's dead. Quick kick comes out and picks up a quick quick kick comes out and picks up a machine gun and starts mowing down. Cobras, but they don't get the main guy because uh, they somehow get a knife in him. Oh, I think Duke or someone throws a knife at him. Yeah, I think Flink wrapped um, a dagger in through him. Oh, yeah, maybe it was they, Duke, yeah. They killed Doc, Thunder, Crankcase, and Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thunder, I think, drove a vehicle. I can't remember which one. Crankcase drove the All Striker. Thunder, Thunder, I think, drove the Slugger. And Heavy Metal, I think, drove the second tank, not the Mobat. Right. Um, so they're dead. And then they're so then they steal a, a they steal a Cobra vehicle and they're chasing. So they got the bodies um, on the Cobra vehicle and they're chasing another Cobra vehicle. Um, and then the guy that shot them all, the Soul Viper, gets up and uh, he goes after him. And then there's a stupid side story about the space shuttle, which is unrealistic. Uh, so anyway, the the vehicle they're on gets blown up. And who dies from that one? Let me see. Uh, oh, this is when you started to cry. 
Breaker and Quick Kick get killed from the exploding um, from the exploding tank they were on. So it's cross country. Falcon and Duke are the only survivors at this point. Why do they have to do that? You know why they had to kill Breaker? Because they had that dial, the tone. dial tone. They had a new freaking toy they had to make. And why do they have to kill Quick Kick? I don't know. <laughs> you get mad at me for. <laughs> well, he was representing the Asians. Yeah, but we had a few Asians, I think, on the team, didn't we? we Storm did? Shadow. <laughs> oh, he's a Cobra. No, not at this point. Oh, Jinx. Yeah, but Jinx. I mean, it was Jinx. Jinx yeah, That's but it was very, it was. it was very jarring, man. <sighs> and, and the carnage continued for like four or five issues. It's horrible. And then so that's one hundred and nine, and then one thirteen. I'm not going to explain the whole issue, but they basically blow up Battle Force two thousand, which is like seven guys. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Hammer just blew them up. He had them hiding out in in a, in a reserve oil field like tank you know they're surrounded by oil tankers and G.I. Joe not G.I. Joe Cobra just bombed the crap out of it and uh, they were blown to pieces I think one person one one person from Battle Force 2000 survived okay um, let, let's, let's let's do a little scenario here you're Larry Hama okay. and I'm from yep. Hasbro okay ready ring ring uh yeah, this is Hasbro and Larry Hama. The, these characters you created for the last 150 issues. I want you to eliminate uh, Breaker, Sidekick, because we're bringing new toys. How do you feel about that? Will the check cash? <laughs> <laughs> How much am I getting paid for this? I, Absolutely. I'm well, I'm curious. I'm curious if Hasbro picked two died or if Larry Hammer was like, look, guys, I got too many Joes to write. Can I? Can oh, I wow. I didn't think of it that way. I, yeah, I think he had to. Just to, I, I think Hasbro was like, okay, we need, to, we need to start flushing out some characters to bring in some new characters that have the same uh, specialties. You know, like, why aren't we selling dial tone action figures? We have like a thousand of them. Get rid of Breaker. Well, the funny thing is. Um, Breaker, I think, was the only original Joe that that died. Quick Kick was an original, and Crankcase and Heavy Metal. These are all like vehicle drivers. So it was kind of odd. Yeah, it, yeah. Crankcase, Heavy Metal, and Thunder were all uh, vehicle drivers. Wow. Well, oh, see, there you go. You need to buy uh, new vehicles. Yeah, to get the new uh, what you call it. You got us driving them, right? Yeah. Makes it exciting, uh, no, I guess. honestly, no. But I think, especially with Battle Force 2000, I think Larry Hammer was like, "F this S. There's too many of these knuckleheads. Let me blow. You know, why else would you take Battle Force 2000 out? Oh, well, you know, it could be this too. Kind of like, um, you know, Walking Dead, right? When they killed Glenn in issue 100, it was because the ratings were going down. You know, and you then when so? you, well, yeah, that's what they did. They weren't selling as well. So they had to do this. They had to kill Glenn to, like, you know, boost. Oh, like someone big is going to die or whatever, and then it's going to boost his sales back up. So if you're going to promote, hey, one Joe won't make it out, and you boost his sales back up, like Death of Superman, you know, kind of like that. So, dude, it's yeah, all maybe. about the money. Come on, you know that. It's all about the Benjamins. There is. Uh, yeah. What you going to do? Well, sorry. Uh, yeah. Now I'm trying. I'm, I'm skimming through. This next episode issue because Clutch is in it. I hope he doesn't die. I might have forgotten some people died. <laughs> Did he wind up killing the Saw Viper? 
Oh, the one that actually right. did the deed? I don't know. All right, yeah, so I'm looking at this. So they, they catch up to him. They blow up his truck. He's alive, but he's, like, hurt. He's crawling for his gun. Dude climbs off his vehicle. So it's, you see him reaching for the machine gun, and Duke goes, "Go for it!" And he's got a he's got a pistol on his sidearm, like like a like a cowboy. Right. He goes, "Go for it! Grab that piece and swing that muzzle in my direction." I'm waiting. I want the excuse. Wow. And then the soul viper goes, "Yeah, I ain't stupid enough to give it to you. So much as you want to stop my clock, you can't bring yourself to shoot an unarmed man. Ha ha ha! ha. That's one of the disadvantages of being the good guy. You can't even take me prisoner. Well, that's and then goes into this whole thing." And then Duke walks away. And goes, I'll see you again at some point. <laughs> uh, blah, 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 blah. So seven of them died in that one. Horrific. Yep. And then, all right. So that was one thirteen. Yeah, but that was so jarring. Just seeing, uh, you know, U.S. soldiers killed, GI Joes killed. Thank God they weren't one of my favorites. Um, oh, well, that's another thing. I don't know if you remember, but GI Joe in an earlier issue. Grunt retires like he well not retires but he he uh, gets a honorable discharge yeah and he goes back to civilian life like so Larry Hamill was even cognizant enough to to kind of show that side of it sure. like you know they're not not everybody is military for life some people do leave and of course you know in the issue he leaves he goes to his hometown and for some reason Cobra's there but you know he he does wind up um, retiring from the service that's cool yeah all right twenty one please do. Oh, no, that's all you, dude. What? Okay, you know, uh, so since you read a lot about that issue, I'm going to read Silent Interlude, okay? Issue 21. Page 1. Page 2. Page 3. That was a joke. This yeah. issue is pretty cool because there's actually no dialogue in the book itself. Zero. Is, yeah, zero. It's so, yeah, everything is told by pictures, which is great for a comic book. Um... But uh, do, do you remember what the story that led up to this? Because they captured Scarlet, or did they? Did the story just starts off that way. I think, I think the story might start off that way. Uh, and like Alan said, there's no dialogue. There's no text boxes telling you. Uh, there's no like text box narration. Nothing. There's no word. I don't even know. Is there sound effects even? None. No, not even sound effects. So it's totally wordless. The whole thing's told in pictures. At the time, it was groundbreaking. Um, I don't know if it is anymore, but for a long time, it was the most valuable issue of G.I. Joe. It's not anymore. It's got to be. This is, this is an amazing I don't, well, I don't. Yeah, but I don't know that G.I. Joe is valuable at all. Oh, you know, oh so. I see what you mean. Yeah. But it's probably but there was time. the most popular. So the, the, the premise is, is that uh, Storm of Shadow captures Scarlet, who is a main player of the Joes. And uh, basically... And Snake Eyes Girl. <laughs> right, yeah. And Snake Eyes... Uh, He's he's gonna rescue her, and he's is for some reason he's doing it all by himself because he is being dropped off by like some transport plane, and he you know basically parachutes in, and uh, and he finds a way to to get to her to her, and which is which is interesting because there's a panel where Destro actually notices that something is coming in, but he doesn't really do anything about it. It almost seems like he's well, waiting to see if if he can pull it off. You think? Well, did you did you notice the computer screen that Destro is looking at? Yeah, it says it's. I think it's really the only words in the uh, in the issue. It's, oh, it's words right. on the screen that say something along the lines of. Uh, he's looking at the computer screen. It says altitude of invading aircraft, high wind velocity, darkness, lack of landing zones, probability success of the airborne insertion, point zero 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 one eight percent. Never tell me <laughs> the odds. Right. So Destro's <laughs> like, all right. There's something in the area, but 
poss- probability of an airborne insertion is point zero 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 one eight percent. So it's really cool that, and so Scarlet actually, with the magic of her bobby pin, <laughs> yeah, picks locks the handcuffs, and she actually kind of works her way out, and she's kind of fighting Storm Shadow out, you know, who's a ninja guy too, and uh, and it comes to the very very last panel, well not last last panel, but uh, uh, oh no no wait, the Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow actually fight, don't they? Mm, like briefly. Briefly, briefly. That's right. In the end, so, it, yeah, it's a cool. I don't know. I don't want to. Well, what? All right. What you have? What ruined it? We've ruined thirty years of comics already. Um, <laughs> and it almost seems like this is one I don't want to talk what, about because I this, think if you haven't read this, or I mean, seen issue. this book, you uh-huh. you should. This is such an amazing book. All right. Well, let's let's just put. It, all right. If you don't want to ruin it, that's fine. But let's put it this way: while Snake Eyes is inserting himself into the fortress, trying to save Scarlet. And this is what I liked about the issue. Scarlet's not a damsel in distress. Right. While while Snake Eyes is inserting himself, Snake Eyes is, I mean, Scarlet is extracting herself. So, and, you know, they, they kind of, you know, at a point they meet and, you know, well, read it. But it's good because it's not like Scarlet's waiting down there for Snake Eyes. She's she's taking things into her own hands. And um, it's a good it's a good issue because Scarlet holds her own against Snake Eyes. Uh, damn it. Against, uh, <laughs> against Storm Shadow. And um, she holds her own against Storm Shadow. At one point, she even saves Snake Eyes, uh, and Snake Eyes saves her saves really him. cool way. Yeah, but yeah. and you know, talking toward the end panel, um, you know what Snake Eyes does to save her, and then there's the whole uh, gene- generic red ninjas that work for Storm Shadow that Snake Eyes got to fight. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a really good issue, and it's it's told without. Words. Any words, and it's, it's awesome. You know, so, yeah, really it wasn't. You know, if, I was look. If, I, I'm sorry. If, what? If Snake Eyes never went, yeah, she would have saved herself. She would have saved herself, probably. Yeah, yeah. she would have done it. Yeah, but he. Although in, you got to wonder, because Storm Shadow was distracted by Snake Eyes, so maybe she, he would have been more on her it. tail. Maybe who knows? And what was cool at the very, very end? Yeah, we well, might as well ruin it. Uh, Snake Eyes glove. <laughs> no, we're not ruining it because I just danced around everything, so we wouldn't ruin it. Snake Eyes glove is ripped, and he has like this tattoo in his forearm. Right. And then Storm Shadow's little wrist, whatever, starts to unravel, and he has the same tattoo under his forearm. You're like, what is and going I, and I, on? I think that's the first allusion to them having some sort of um, history okay. together. That might have been Storm Shadow's first issue too. No. Yeah. 21, yeah. Because well, 20 thing. is the standalone issue Clutch Goes Home, where he goes home to Asbury Park and he finds um, Cobras there, of course, because why wouldn't they be in Asbury Park, New Jersey? And uh, 21 is is Silent Interlude. And then they start uh, a storyline of, of Jejo capturing the commander and Snake Eyes rescuing him in issue 24. So I think 21 might have been Snake Eyes' first appearance. Dang it! Storm Shadow's first appearance. <laughs> I keep doing it, man. Very similar names. Yeah. And uh, I just want to quickly mention one last issue. Number 50, um, the Cobra headquarters is in a town called Springfield. And kind of like the Simpsons, but this predates the Simpsons. There's so many Springfields in America, G.I. Joe never know. Like, they know it's a Springfield, right. but they never know which which one. And at some point, uh, a couple of Joes get captured and brought to Springfield, but they escape and they radio the, the location to Jejo headquarters and um, number 50 is important for two big reasons because it's a G.I. Joe invades Springfield 
um, to you know, in an attempt to get rid of Cobra for once and for all. Right. And it's the introduction of Serpentor. Oh. Yeah. When they jump the shark. Well, yeah. I, I mean, for me, G.I. Joe got not as I mean, fifty for me was one. It's pretty much its pinnacle because then you're talking like eight issues later, you got Cobra Commander in his Iron Man costume, and yeah, it started getting ridiculous. And then you had <laughs> the Pogo, the stupid Cobra Pogo thing, oh, right? And the Falcon, the Cobra guy that dressed like a bird, yeah. Doctor Mike, yeah, it just got ridiculous after that. <laughs> Gotta sell the toys. Yeah. Uh, but they had a spinoff because as every successful comic must do, it has to spin off uh, something called G.I. Joe Special Missions, mm-hmm. which were usually one issue um, contained stories uh, that focused on a small group of Joes that had a uh, specific mission to fulfill. Uh, those are pretty good. And I think I think uh, did Larry Hammer write that. I don't know if he wrote Special Missions. Um yeah, I don't, I don't want to say he did if I'm not sure. Uh, but special missions, the thing about special missions where you could have a good issue and then three bad issues and then a good issue. And so it wasn't it wasn't even. So I didn't really, I don't think I bought it uh, monthly. Or it was cool. bi-monthly, actually. It came out once every two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last thing I want to talk about um, is the covers. Okay. There are some gorgeous covers. I mean... Number 21 is a gorgeous, but we talked about number 26 with the helmet. And then we talked about um, number 21, Silent Interview, which is Snake Eyes climbing up the side of a uh, the side of a Cobra Fortress. Um, uh, uh, the uh, the one you talk about, 34, is a great cover with uh, the, the it's a it's a it's the Sky Striker getting a missile shot at it by the Rattler. Yeah, it's a cool um, yeah, I mean, these covers are really great, especially when you had a Storm Shadow. They're, issue 40 is just, ro- uh, not Rock and Roll, who's the other machine gun? Roadblock. Mm-hmm. Just just a nice close-up of his face, and he's got the machine gun, number 40. Number 39, he's got Stalker and another Joe kind of camouflage in, in like a jungle setting. Uh, just really great covers. Yeah, quality book. I, I, I agree her- with you. that the, the, the earlier issue runs were probably better, and towards the end, eh. It gets, yeah. little, it gets a little kooky. So, as, as we stated before, Larry Hammer wrote most of them. And I think in the beginning, the artist was Herb. I'm going to mispronounce his name. It's either Trimp or Trimpy. Mm-hmm. T-R-I-M-P-E. And he was pretty good. And, I mean, I don't know if you felt this way when we read the, the issues in the hundreds where um, the Joes died. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that art at all. Right. Yeah, that yeah was, I didn't like uh, it either. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anything else? Uh, I don't know, G.I. Joe comic. No, oh, well, yes, they've come back a few times through different iterations. They're currently published um, by IDW, and I think they're up to over 250 issues. So wow. they've been around a while on the IDW. I haven't read any of those. I don't know if you have. Wait, you meaning they, they did a continuation? Because the last original Joe ended at 155. Oh, you're right. I don't know if they started at zero. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think I think they started at one. I think they started at IDW GI Joe number one, wow. and they're up to two forty something. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they they are focused on kind of that the eighties era. I don't know that they go too heavily like it's. A, I don't even know if they talk about Battle Force or anything like that. Obviously, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Storm Shadow—they're all major players in the IDW. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making things up, and I got Yo Joe right in front of me. Fabulous. Fabu. 
Yeah, so IDW. So it's still out there if you want to get a G.I. Joe fix. It's on, um, go to your local comic store, get G.I. Joe IDW. Um, but if you want some really quality stories, you, Alan said the trade paperbacks are available for the Marvel series. At least the first two I know of, and they're, they're a fun read. They're really good quality stuff. Qual- quality. All right. Uh, yeah. Wait. Uh, IDW Jaiju comic license in 2009, so they can't be up to 240. Right. Okay. Oh yeah, you're right. They started with issue 155 and a half. <laughs> so yeah, they're up, to, which That's continues the series that started in 1982. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, they are up to 240 something or 250, but they started at 155 and a half. Okay. All right, that makes more sense. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that. Was, that's a lot of issues. Yeah, there's a lot of issues. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Alan, now you know. And knowing's half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got some iTunes review. We oh, got. Yeah, I love these. Aren't these cool? From Nerd in Texas. Look at that. Nostalgic, fun, and hilarious. Witty and informative. You guys rock. Thanks for bringing back all these great memories from my childhood. The only problem is that because of you guys, I'm spending too much time in my guest room closet looking for old toys to play with. So many great memories. Thanks again. Thank you, nerd in Texas. I don't see that's a problem. (laughs) Right. And how awesome is it that the only nerd in Texas left us a great review? (laughs) (laughs) And then we have, uh, huh, Delta Diva T. All right. This person writes, great find. I was looking for something fun and entertaining to listen to about Last Jedi and stumbled upon these guys. I love their topics. Wait, I, th- I thought she was looking for something fun and entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I love their topics and the fun they have is infectious. I love their strolls down memory lane and their versions of movie reviews. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Delta Diva T. That's Thank you awesome. very much, Delta Diva T. That is that. awesome. All right. Totally awesome. All right, Mr. Jonathan, I think we're done, huh? Anything uh, else? Yeah, just well, a few housekeeping. Um, housekeeping. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't heard, we've expanded our show to twice a week now. Uh, midweek, we'll be dropping an episode uh, on the week, 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 in, 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 geek, geek, geek. <laughs> Uh, basically, Alan and I are going to take a, a couple of the top stories in in pop culture and uh, quickly go over them and share our thoughts. Uh, so look for that to drop uh, um, midweek every week. Right. Uh, also, um, listen to Alan and I on the Stuff You Don't Know channel. Uh, you can listen to me and uh, my buddy Pete on uh, Fat Guys and Low Coats and Pete and our friend Jay on Enter the Nerd Zone. Boom. All those Shaka. guys. Lots of content. Shaka. Lots of content. Lots. Yeah. For a lot of content. Right. For a lot. <laughs> All right. We're done? You tell me. All right. Till next time. Martha. Peace. Peace.